Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to this final message in this series on mercy and grace. I hope that you have been grasping the depth of what we're talking about here, coming to understand why we can't just redefine words. We can't pick our favorite doctrines and say, I'm going to make everything about faith. I'm going to make everything about grace. I'm going to make everything about mercy. I'm going to make, you know, we can't do that. Because when we do, we lose the depth and the richness of what God is offering us uh, through the gospel. You know, today's message, unusual name, is called The Path or the Mountain. You know, Jesus, so interestingly, uh, taught us that if you seek, you shall find. But one of the things that's implied by that, particularly in the original language, is that not only if you seek, will you find, and actually in the Greek it says seek and keep on seeking, but it implies the idea that whatever you seek is what you find. Now, when you set your goals, when I set my goals, when I set my eyes on a particular goal, then the truth is I eliminate my capacity to see other possible outcomes. I, I, I eliminate the capacity for things to work out in another direction, which means to some degree I am limiting what I am allowing God to show me, because we will not hear what God is saying, and we will not perceive what God is trying to show us if it's something that we resist, if it's something that we are not open to. The Hebrew language indicates that you can only hear and perceive that which you are willing to obey, and that's just a, a, a faculty or a function of the heart. So, so, I don't know about you, but many times I have decided that I wanted a particular outcome. And it's not just the fact that the outcome is wrong. That's an amazing thing. See, we think because we choose the, a biblical outcome that uh, the process that we're choosing uh, is biblical as well. Now, you know, I think I've shared some stories with you about people I've known over the years that really had a disappointing life and many times died never having won the victories that they were looking for. And one of the reasons was they decided how it had to come. They decided the process where about it had to come. And so really, even though, yes, they wanted this end goal, they were seeking it through a particular process. And, and I'm just telling you, this is, this is one of the places I believe that well-intentioned, good people, godly people, uh, really get off the track and end up never obtaining uh, what God has promised to them is because we try to control the process. Now, in 1 Peter 1, 9, it, it makes this incredibly interesting statement. It says that we are receiving the end, and that word end would be very similar to our concept of the goal. We are receiving the goal of our faith, even the salvation of our souls. So I can remember when reading that scripture, I, I suddenly realized that, that uh, if I'm not seeking the same 
goal for my life that God is seeking, then I'm really going to get set on a different path or on a, or on a different course. Here's another interesting, you know, 1 Timothy 1.5, uh, man, th this is one of those scriptures that just has spoken to me so much over the years. He says, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith, from which some having strayed have turned aside to talk to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Now, being a teacher of the law doesn't mean you're for it. doesn't mean you're trying to promote the law. It could mean that, or it could mean that you're teaching people against the law and the commandments and those sorts of things, which, which Jesus said the person who, who breaks the law and the commandments and teaches other people to do that will be least in the kingdom of God. And so if Jesus is my Lord, I have to go, wait a minute, I, I, better, I better really pay attention to what he's saying rather than uh, wh whoever else or whatever else that, that I'm paying attention to. So I start realizing that since we find that which we seek, since we are receiving the goal of our faith, what is it I'm really believing for? What purposes am I attaching to the, you know, to the Word of God? All of these will really determine uh, whether or not I limit what God can do in my life. And the Bible does talk about my, my very first book was called Taking the Limits Off of God. And actually, it was considered a pretty profound uh, work when I first wrote it back in the 80s. And uh, I start realizing I can limit God in my life just because I've got my sights set on the wrong goals. You know, I often think about Jesus going to the cross, and, uh, you know, in Luke 22, when he's getting ready to face the cross, he makes it clear, this is not really what I want to do. And but he, but he went on to say in verse 42, he said, but Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so he didn't really want to go to the cross. I mean, and imagine, he knew he was going to be alienated from God. He knew he was going to become sin. He knew that he would, that the only way he would come up out of the grave victorious is by his faith, by believing the promises that God made to him, even when all the circumstances uh, seem to, to seem to contradict that. And so in Hebrews 12, 1, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight uh, and and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, I understand so many people who minimize the effects of sin in our lives. You know, I will see posts that says, you know, sin can't separate you from God. Well, technically, it can't. It can't cause God to pull away from you. Uh, but sin, according to the scripture, and I think we've covered this effectively in this series, Sin does cause us to harden our hearts, and we are the ones that pull away from God. And I understand people make those kinds of statements trying to encourage and help people who have been in sin and religion has beaten them up. But uh, sometimes in our desire to make the, the gospel palatable, we leave out bits and pieces of it that can, that can really work against the very people that we're trying to help. So it says a so it says, we've got this cloud of witnesses. So let us lay aside every weight and every sin, which so easily ensnares us. I, you know, I, I don't want to tell people that sin can't mess you up, because it can. 
And yeah, it's idealism to say that, well, if you have faith, they can't measure up. Well, but you know what? The, the fact that they're struggling with their faith is, is, why they're, is why people are in sin to start with. So anyhow, he goes on, he said, but look, he says, listen, let us look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus kept his eyes on the prize in a certain sense, and he kept his eyes on the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal for Jesus uh, was the resurrection, and the joy that came to him was because what he was about to face, as horrible as it was, was uh, really the expression of the love that he had for the Father and the expression that, of the love that he had for the human race. So it's, it's incredibly important that we, that we harmonize, because remember, righteousness is about harmonizing uh, our heart with God's heart. It's about harmonizing our words with his words, our behavior with, with his behavior. Uh, in other words, it's about becoming one with God in every way that we express ourselves. And it's a journey. You know, I'm not saying that this is a this is something you just snap your fingers and it happens. I'm not, I am not an idealist at all. And thank goodness, you know, God leads me out of my past and into uh who I am in, in Christ Jesus as a new man. Now, one of the scriptures again, when you start talking about God's goal for our lives, now there I I kind of break God's goal for our life up in a couple of different things. In John 17, 3, he says, and this is eternal life. Now, remember, Jesus came that we might have eternal life. And that word is zoe, the quality of life that God has. Having your ticket punched uh, to make it to heaven is not eternal life. It is one aspect of it, of eternal life, but it is not eternal life. Because you can you can be on your way to heaven while you're living in hell and torment uh, here on planet Earth. So God's goal for us and, and is that uh, you know we should all experience eternal life. And so, as a matter of fact, He says that in John ten ten, I've come and might have life and have it more abundantly. That's that's that word uh, Zoe. That's the Greek word there. So anyhow, but He says now. So I came that you could have Zoe. And here is Zoe. He's defining eternal life that you may know, and that is to experientially know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom He has sent. So, so, so I realize on one particular level, my personal level uh, uh, of what God wants for my life is that I experience God. And I experienced him through the Lord Jesus, and therefore I experienced this Zoe, this quality of life. And uh, you know, in John seventeen twenty two, he says he's he's he. Now I'm breaking right into the middle of this great prayer that he prayed, which should have been labeled the Lord's Prayer instead of what's in Matthew twelve. But he says, "The glory which you gave me, I've given to them, that they may be one, just as we are." So, so if we want to participate in the glory of God. And, you know, the glory being the view, the opinion, literally the manifestation. If we want the world to be able to experience God, they've got to see that in us. And that happens the same with us, the same way it happened with Jesus, uh, by becoming one with God, by harmonizing every aspect of our life with uh, what Jesus showed us about God. And he says, he says uh, that we may be one. In verse 23, he says, I and them, and you and me, 
that they may be perfect or brought to, you know, brought to the ultimate goal uh, in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and I have loved them as you have loved me. So, you know, we have these personal things, but as far as experience, the view, the opinion of God, as far as coming into what we know to be uh, the perfect love of God, that, that word perfect, of course, gets into the idea of, of having reached the goal. Well, the goal of the perfect love of God is that we experience God's love, that that love affects us, and that based on that love, we start loving, not only do we start loving God, but we start loving what God loves. And I tell you, if we leave that out of our teaching about love, then I am telling you, we are unintentionally deceiving the very people that we are trying to help. See, God's love is not self-indulgent. It's not about just about you and, and, and nobody else. God's love, first and foremost, is about us so that we can have this relationship with him so that we can experience this quality of life. But also, God's love is so that we will have love for the, particularly for the brethren, but we'll have God's kind of love for the world. And we will have this desire to show the world who God is. You know, one of the things I, you know, the church, of course, right off the bat, you know, or very early, let me put it that way, they, they gave up on the idea of uh, making disciples. And so instead of making disciples, the church became more about, about making converts. And you know what? That's, that's good. That's, that's better than nothing. But you know, as well as I do, that many people started out as converts and they're, they're struggling. They're struggling with the same sin, the same defeat that they were before they got saved. And so then people start making up doctrines to justify living in defeat, living in sin. And sadly, so much of that is done under the banner of mercy and grace. It's all right to be in sin. You know what? Mercy is God's ability to, to give us better than we deserve. And grace is God's ability to give us what we deserve. One, it, one is about experiencing the love of God, the kindness, compassion of God, but the other is about experiencing the, uh, uh, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit working through our heart. So really, uh, we should be seeking to harmonize our life with God in such a way that it attracts people to God, and, and then we have the opportunity to share the gospel. Now, remember, you haven't shared the gospel with someone just because you give them your testimony. I mean, that's a start. But the gospel, according to the Apostle Paul, and you can, you can, you know, you can look this up for yourself. I think, it's, I think it's 1 Corinthians 15, where he talks about, uh, here's my gospel. He talks about you know, what Jesus did on the cross, what Jesus did in the grave, and the fact that he rose again, uh, that was Paul's gospel. Now, one of the things that I do add to that, not, but not to change it in any way, is that then we need to talk about uh, Jesus receiving the inheritance or the new covenant, and then us have the opportunity to participate in this covenant. Because when you talk about the resurrection, if you don't bring the inheritance into it, then again, leaving that a major part of it. You know, you know, it's, a, it's always amazed me how over the years, different religious groups have just put the emphasis on their favorite doctrines. You know, I was, I was doing a carpet installation in a shopping mall, and 
uh, oh, right outside of uh, Pensacola, Florida, back in the seventies, and uh, uh, so got ready to take take a break and and walked out and just sat on you know some benches that they had out there. And so a guy comes up and wants to start witnessing to me. And you know, I said, you know something, I really appreciate the fact that you're sharing with me. I said, but you know what? I am a born again believer, and uh, and I you know I share Jesus with people, but I do appreciate the fact that you're out here. He didn't he didn't even catch a breath before he went immediately into well, what do you believe about once saved always saved? And so the guy went from I'm going to share Jesus with you to now I want to fight with you about my favorite doctrine. You know, I was so I was so uh, dismayed that this guy got off goal, got off track uh, so quickly. You know, the, the the Pentecostals, you know, back in the forties and fifties and sixties, all they cared about is, uh, do you speak in tongues? Charismatics. All they cared about is, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Are the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in you? And then. The Charismatics, the Pentecostals, and even the Word of Faith people, you know, got into this whole thing about the anointing. Do you, you know, in other words, it, it's just amazing at the lack of effort to bring people into a meaningful relationship with God, and that is usually substituted with whatever their particular favorite doctrine. By, by the way, let, let me let me just remind you of this: if you're interested and you want to take a deep dive in this. Be sure you can download my audio series on this. And uh, a lot of people, we put some, we put a lot of stuff in the audio series that's not in this video series. We put a lot of stuff in the video series that's not in the audio series because I'm trying to give you every single thing that I can to help you with any of these subjects that we that we teach on here. But anyhow, back to what I was talking about, it's an interesting thing. You know, when I talk, talk about the Holy Spirit, it's an interesting thing that nobody wants to argue on behalf of uh, uh, of the fruit of the spirit uh, that people don't want to they don't want to argue in behalf. I don't argue is a poor word because none of us should should want to argue. But it's it's amazing how people can't talk about character without getting into legalism and dead works. People can't people can't talk about fruit of the Holy Spirit. They feel like they're putting too much pressure on you. But you know what? I, I got news for you. People want to live godly lives. You know, I still witness to people all the time. Uh, you know, just last night, Brenda, Brenda and I had a had a friend in, and we had the opportunity to share the gospel. We we never one time beat them up, and you know, we, I didn't stick my finger in, the, in their chest. But uh, you know, we just love people with the love of God. We talk about God. We talk about Jesus, just as if that person believes everything that we're saying. So now you got to be saying, so, so what does this have to do with the path or the mountain? Well, you know, there's a, again, Jesus, you know, Jesus didn't stop on the path. He didn't say, you know what, this healing ministry is a really, this is a really good thing. Maybe if I just stay here and stick with this healing ministry, you know, I could have reached the whole world. Uh, you know, the apostle Paul, he, the apostle Paul, even though he messed up and made some really bad decisions, he still always stayed on track about what his what his call was, and so uh, there's a, there's a, a say. And based on that, they stayed on the they stayed on the path for a purpose, and that purpose was to reach the goal. There's a there's a saying. I don't know where it came from. Probably came from some crazy, uh, weird 
religious group, but uh, but the saying itself is is a good saying, and it says that that the path is not the mountain, and the idea behind that is that if you want to go to the top of the mountain, you find the path and you walk the path, but you don't stop and decide you're going to live there on the path and make the path your goal. Uh, that path has one purpose, and that purpose is to provide a way to, for you to reach the top of the mountain or to, to reach the goal. Well, that's the way it is in the kingdom of God. We, we have a path, and actually the path that we're called to walk is the path of righteousness. As a matter of fact, you know, Matthew 6, 31, you know, Jesus saying, look, and this is one of these places where he's telling you stuff not to pray about. He says, look, don't, don't, don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Now, I got to tell you, uh, you know, after publishing the prayer organizer, I used to get invited to speak in all kinds of prayer conferences. And most of them were all about teaching people to pray for all the things that Jesus said not to pray about, not to worry about, not to put your attention on. You know, Jesus taught what I call the serendipity principle. He says, look, you know, if you'll Walk this path of righteousness, so Proverbs 28, because there's nothing but life in it, and there's just not any death in it. And so you're not going to waste all your time and energy praying for God to give you something that, in fact, we know he has already given us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Lord Jesus. But So he says, for after all these things that the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But here's what he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. I got news for you. If you're having to pray about all of those things, then you might need to re-examine what path that you're walking. Because uh, on this path of righteousness, all of these things are simply added to us. So the kingdom of God, by the way, represents more than anything else a surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. And uh, Jesus is worthy to be Lord based on the gospel, based on the fact that on the cross, he became our sin. In the death, in his death, he, he suffered all the consequences of our sin that we should have to conquer. In the resurrection, he conquered the power of death and the which means he had to conquer the power of sin. He came up out of our grave, out of that grave. We were raised up with him, and uh, and we share in this new covenant with him. That 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 is the gospel. So, the reality of it is, he's worthy to be our Lord because he is the one who purchased us. He is the one who paid the price for us. So, there's honestly, you know there's really not much room for needing to seek mercy and grace as we discovered back several uh, messages back. And if you haven't watched all the messages, go back and listen to them. That the truth is, if we set out like Jesus said here, if we first seek the kingdom of God, surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, that's what that implies. And then his righteousness, then everything gets added to us. And so we're really not having to try to work a bunch of faith for mercy, grace, faith. All of these things become uh, serendipitous uh, to the journey that, that we are making. So, you know, we can't substitute our favorite doctrine and make our favorite doctrine more important 
than what Jesus said we should seek first. We can't, we can't do that. And so through this series on mercy and grace, uh, you know, we've, we've learned how to prioritize the word of God. We've learned that we can't just redefine words, you know, like we talked about how that, how that you listen to some people and you'll think, you'll think every kind word in the Bible should be translated as grace and grace, uh, I'm sure grace applies, but that is definitely not the uh, the synonym for all of these words like compassion and kindness and love and goodness. You know, and you know, we talked about the fact, and golly, this is probably going to insult a lot of people that I don't mean to insult, but how many people do, do have you heard say Jesus is grace? No, Jesus is not grace. Jesus modeled grace. He showed us what our life could be if, in fact, we believe we're righteous, because if you believe you're righteous, then the grace to live in righteousness manifests in your life. Listen, this is one of these, this is one of these topics that I want you to study. And that's, that's one of the reasons I've offered my audio series in here. I want you to study this. I want you to come to the place where you rely and you expect God's mercy. You rely and you expect the grace of God. Uh, you rely, expect, and believe that you are made righteous in Jesus. And then you move on with the greater calling. You know, I can't say this enough times, but Israel totally failed to do what God wanted them to do. And that was to, to be a nation of people that out of their lives, the quality of their lives, the quality of their nation influenced the entire world. And so that the, the, the tabernacle and ultimately the temple that was built would be a house of prayer for all nations. They did not do that. They totally failed at that. Well. You know, the church has done a better job, but to a great degree, the church has failed at that. We have failed at what Israel should have done and then what we should do, which is to manifest the glory, the view, the opinion, the reality of God and treat people the way God would treat people so that they could understand who God really is. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was the Word made flesh. We should be the Word made flesh. We should be manifesting the Word of God in ways that are undeniable to people. Now, listen, before we, before we jump out of this, I want to let you know that Impact Ministries, and by the way, you can check out our website. We've got all kinds of free information. I probably got a couple of thousand free uh, video sermons that you can watch. You can pick out almost any topic that you want, and you can find I've probably done a series on that. And so, so that's all out there just to be a blessing and to be a help to you. But also, if you are interested in helping us reach and raise up one billion disciples, not a billion converts, a billion disciples, and we're, we're doing this all over the world. We're starting Bible schools all over the world. We're training leaders all over the world. We're distributing books, CDs. And, you know, these uh, cyber church uh, messages are shown as far as we know, they are shown in every country in the world. And so if you're interested in participating with us, we want you to consider being a world changer with us. And you know, through this whole series, I haven't said anything about money, I haven't said anything about an offering because we put this stuff all out there for free. But uh, you can go to our website, impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com, and you can become a world changer. As a world changer, what you contribute will help us continue to take the gospel because we are preaching the gospel of the kingdom so people can seek it first. All right, guys, be giving you a new series 
starting next week. Blessings. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers Podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.